Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Okay, welcome to the show. Today we have with us our guest, John Fortes. He founded the Fortes Company, which partners with working professionals seeking to invest in multifamily apartments, but don't have the time. Uh, if you're leading multifamily investments, it's a very time intensive deal. So by leveraging John's experience, he's helped families invest over 70 million in multifamily investments that's allowed them to secure financial security, preserve and grow their wealth and compound their investments as they achieve financial independence via partnership with John. He's also the host of the Passive Investor Show podcast, which has become one of the hottest real estate podcasts on iTunes for working professionals and lots more. But without further ado, John, welcome. How are you, sir? Thank you for having me, Devin. Uh, first of all, to the audience, if you haven't already rated and reviewed this podcast, please, please, please go ahead and do that. Uh, Devin, thank you for having me, man. Uh, hey, awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. So definitely want to dive in on, on what you guys have been up to, but as a primer and for starters here, where are you from? Where are you based out of? I'm based uh, south of Boston. So I like to say the home and pride of Rocky Marciano and Marvelous Marvin Hagler. So we are the city of champions in Brockton, Massachusetts, just south of Boston. So yeah. That's a better answer than I usually get. I love it, man. Thank you. Um, and were you born and raised there and you, you, uh, you, you still operate there or are you guys operating in different markets outside of that? So I was born and raised here, but I, I invest in, in, in landlord friendly states because in Massachusetts it's, it's tenant friendly. So an eviction would take about six to nine months and wow. that's yeah. six to nine months loss of business. So uh, I invest in multifamilies outside. Yeah. Smart. Look, landlord friendly States. That's just, uh, that's kind of one of the things that I talk to about folks as a baseline. If you're looking to invest, start with landlord friendly environment. Otherwise you're going to be swimming upstream the, the entire time. Frankly, I don't know how some of those guys make it pencil. I think I saw an attic for sale in Boston or like the second half of a house for like 650 K. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. What? Yeah. Um, the, 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 the real estate is prime. It's just, I don't know how they get it to work because the only reason why is because I'd never tried. I never, uh, sure. I never bought anything outside of my residential here. As far as an investment, I always kind of was, if it seemed favorable for me to go out of state. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I've got friends and even a, a really great business partner in Boston, and uh, they don't touch anything there. You know, it's all they'll they'll, they'll invest in other markets. Yeah. So what, walk us through your, um, I always like to understand people's transition to, to real estate investing. Um, you know, what was kind of your background and what brought you to real estate? So I'm a, I, I, I do it or I, um, I it consultant and I did it for years and it, you know, it's like when you start learning about your financial, uh, you know, situations or other means of creating passive income. I always look towards the stock market and I try to figure it out for years. I mean, I've read books on stock markets just to see if I could, you know, catch on or see if I can, you know, invest like everybody else or what the common norm was of investing. So it never occurred to me as real estate investing until I started diving in into some real estate books. And then obviously caught the fever, caught the bug and, and read the purple book, which is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
you know, yep. everybody, it's called, it's, it's almost pretty much the real estate Bible. And, you know, it, it kind of reson, resonated with me. So from there, it took me about five years of educating myself, but also uh, utilizing the free material out there as far as blogs, uh, podcasts, bigger pockets, forums, communities, and just networking. So it kind of, it kind of came about naturally because I understood real estate because of the value of my home. And I saw how it appreciated through the improvements we made after we purchased it. So I, I kind of went and I purchased a, me and my wife, we purchased a single family. And immediately I said, if I could do this, if I could do more doors under one roof, that would be, that would be awesome. And it's funny because at that same time, an explosion of multifamily podcasts were just coming out or content. So um, I had a long, a long commute at that time. Yep. And I used my car as commute university. So I would just learn, learn, learn. And, and, and like I said, at that time, th these podcasts are multifamily and it just kind of hit. I need to jump in multifamily. So that's kind of how I got there in, in about a six, five, five year span. It's been like seven years since. Yeah, that's such a great uh, story. You got a lot of dead time, windshield time, and you take advantage of it. I remember going to my W-2. It took me about two and a half years working W-2 and family and everything and building my real estate. Two and a half years burning the candle at both ends before I could go full time. And a big part of that, man, was getting plugged in on podcasts. There's one in particular that I, you know, I would just get really motivated from and learn. And um, that was very, very important kind of uh, period for me um, going, going through all that. So I love it. That, those, are, those are resources that anybody can access right now. Absolutely. And the books is once you get into real estate, you never stop reading books because you get that entrepreneurial bug. So people just start reading self-help bugs, uh, self-help books, like uh, state of economy books. And it's, it's crazy how I never thought I'd see, I'd, I'd be interested in some of these books that like I'm interested in now. It, it, it's, it's changed my views and my opinions on certain things as far as um, how I could present myself or, or position myself in a better financial status or position just because I've read a book. So it, it's, it's kind it's quite fascinating at the end of the day. So it's kind of something I'm trying to install in my kids. Yeah. I love it. I remember going to a Dave Ramsey seminar many, many years ago and he said, you'll be the same person in five years, except for the books you read and the people you meet. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. I, I, I went down that Dave Ramsey rabbit hole too. And it's, it helped me shore up my finances and know basically where my, um, my burn rate was. Mm -hmm. So once I calculated my burn rate, it, it's kind of easy to go from there. Cause you, you're just kind of like, uh, you want to multiply by like, you want to take, you want to get like 4% of that and, and add on to that and just kind of find out what your burn rate is. And then, it, it, and you kind of find out where you need to be end of the month wise. Can I make, uh, can I bring in this amount of income for, you know, to cover all my expenses and then some, and then everything else on top of that is just gravy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dave Ramsey was a very foundational, uh, kind of figure for us very early on when my wife and I got married, um, 12 years ago. Now we did that for about a year and a half and it was, uh, it was impactful, but then you kind of graduate from that and go, all right, 
you're not going to get rich saving, um, saving a few pennies here and there, but it gives you a good, real good foundation to work from. It's definitely a solid baseline. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, uh, talk to me about, um, about, you know, we're talking before we got started here about a project that you guys are, are recently exited from, but, uh, talk to me about that process of, of, you know, you're raising capital for a deal. There's a renovation component purchasing it. I mean, there's a whole lot, a, a whole lot going full cycle in a deal, right. From purchase operations to exit. Um, maybe we could use that, that deal as kind of an example to, to talk about how you went through the process. And, you know, you could, if you were to give all the details, we could talk for a month about it, but uh, in the constraints of this show here, would love to get an overview of, of how that, uh, how that went for you. Sure. So we, we found it, uh, that was part of our, that was our second deal. So we found it as part of a broker uh, relationship and um, one of our partners brought it to us. So we, um, we quickly, uh, realized that we needed to syndicate this deal. Um, and it was, it was, you know, it was quite the experience because you're, you're networking and meeting all these people, but you, you really don't know where you are, where, um, as far as how much capital you could raise, but surely, surely fairly quickly, we kind of had it, we had the, the capital all raised prior to, um, getting our syndication docs in order. So by the time we reached out to the attorney uh, and get the docs prepared uh, for the PPM and the subscription and the operating agreement, we had all the capital raised. So uh, this is my, this is the deal that I like to call the boring deal. This is the type of deal you want to be in. It's uh, it was cash flowing from day one. It was a value add opportunity. And uh, we turned a few units before, um, we turned a few units, but also we were able to go ahead and um, there was a play where we had to stagger um, leases because of the fact that a lot of them were expiring at the same time. So staggering some and delaying them down the line so you can renovate certain ones. And there were, um, uh, at, during that staggering process, we also had, you know, you know, increased the rents by maybe 25 bucks or something like that. And people complied and they said, okay, you know, so sometimes it, it uh, not sometimes, but in this opportunity, it just, everything was working in its favor in one of those boring passive investing type deals where it was kicking off quarterly cash flow for our investors. And lo and behold, before we held it for a year, we were solicited uh, by another group who wanted to come and take it down. So we entertained that, but we said we will not do it if you, if you, are looking to purchase it before we held it for a year because there's capital gain uh, implications. So sure. we avoided that for our investors. And um, obviously, if you're syndicating a deal, Devin, and I came and told you, you got more time to close on a deal, you're most likely to say, okay, <laughs> instead of, um, you know, give me 30 days, you know, you, you want the longer time frame at the end of the day. So they came through, they actually used the same lender. The lender actually really liked the asset that we had and they they closed we held it for about 15 months uh with a 1.5 multiplier so everybody made their capital back plus half of their initial investment so yeah, it, was a, it was a great opportunity yeah for our investors because of the fact that we closed right in the middle of covid so while everybody was at home our investors were still making their capital work for them. 
Yeah, that's great. And kudos for getting a deal done in, in COVID. I mean, that's challenging in a, in a lot of aspects. I'm sure it was challenging for the new buyer, probably had to deal with some uh, increased escrows and things like that. But look, everybody wants to do deals and you got it done, right? Absolutely. And the best part about them is they came with 50% down. So the, the lender was very happy with that. So that was, no kidding. you know, that was intriguing. That was, that was, that was the best part about this. And, you know, they had capital that was hard too. It, it, had, it had gone to the hard stage. And by that, that, that means that they weren't going to be uh, reimbursed for their down payment, I guess, if you want to call it their earnest funds. Sure. So, yeah. So, um, it was uh it was very motivating on all, all parties yeah fifty percent down that's not something you see every day that's nice that's nice to see was that a buyer that was just a single single buyer didn't sound like they were syndicating it on their end or putting a group together um you know what to be honest I, I didn't know much about the buyer as far as they they were coming to the table with fifty percent down sure hey if the fund's clear then you're good right and that's all that mattered at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah. Well, congratulations on going full cycle on that one. What kind of, uh, what kind of renovations were you guys doing on this? We were doing unit turns and we, we actually quoted, uh, we penciled in 4,400 per unit and we were coming in at 4,000 per unit. Nice. We were shaving off 400 bucks per unit as we were renovating them. So it was, um, it was, it was, it was a testament to our underwriting. It was a testament to, um, being able to hire the right people to do the job and working with the right property manager company. So it was, it was pretty gratifying to, to know that, you know, everything, like, like I said, it's one of those boring deals where you want and everything was working and on all, like firing and off on all cylinders. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Yeah. You want that boring deal that's just going to perform and it sounds like it really did perform. What, um, what were you guys doing on the renovation? Was it floors, paint, fixtures, everything for, for that 4,000? Yeah, we were renovating, um, the, the, we improved the units by doing the floors, the painting, the kitchens and the bathrooms. So everything else just got new floors and paint on the wall. And then, um, we assured any, like if there were any holes in the roofs or something like that, we had a couple we actually had leaks in the roof that we resolved quickly once we, once we uh, acquired it. But one of the best things is once we, once we acquired it, we immediately negotiated the trash, uh, the trash expense by 70 bucks. So we increased our NOI from day one. So that was another, like a very good play that we did on our end. We, we went in and renegotiated some contracts. Yeah, that's a, that's some nice low hanging fruit. If you can get it, that's, that's really nice. Um, and it goes, whether you increase income a dollar or you cut expenses a dollar, it's the same NOI dollar, right? That, absolutely. And you're just trying to, you're not trying to, ex, like, you're not trying to cut expenses and, and run the asset in a poor manner either. Like, you're not trying sure. to make the management uh, very difficult to work because you're trying to cut every expense. You're trying to work with the management team too, to give you the best basically performance they can give while you're doing the best operational um, work as well. So if you can cut or negotiate expenses where you find are unnecessary or you can cut them or, and negotiate something to a better price, uh, it, it's very beneficial at the end of the day because the NOI is just going to drive and then you still got those relationships that you're working with those vendors. But if you're, if you, if you don't have any lawn, but you got, you're paying someone to come in like 
rake your leaves. You can hire them for one time in a year or something, but you don't have to have them on for a, you know, a contract service. Yeah. And, and it's just those kind of smart moves that are not, uh, they're not making the property suffer. We've seen plenty of slumlord owners that purely are just going to cut expenses to the bone. The property's going to look like garbage and it goes this downward spiral, which is when we want to buy it, right? After it's gone through that. Absolutely. Um, but they're smart. Pops. Yeah. The mom and pops. I mean, there's smart ways to cut expenses and it sounds like you guys were able to do that there. That doesn't diminish the quality of life for your, for your residents, right? Absolutely. So that's the best part is when you're making these improvements, someone's going to come and live in your apartments and it's usually going to be a family or, or even if it's one person in a, in, a, in a studio apartment or something like that, they're trying to get their life together or they have their life together, but they want their own place where they can literally call home and you want to create a community. So creating a community for everybody, uh, whether it's just one-off families or, or the whole complex is, is very important, at least to me, because feels like I'm really contributing to the world. And I know that you probably feel the same way, Darren, because this is pretty gratifying at the end of the day that we're able to improve people's livelihoods by giving them a, a nice place where they literally can come and comfortably call home. And, you know, you and your investors are, are enjoying the profits from it, but yet feel really good about the investment. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, um, there's a lot of investments that go into a black box and you don't know what's going on. You might be invested in a cigarette company or uh, other things that, not that that's, you know, wrong, but you might be investing in a basket of things that you really don't know what, what it's out there doing in the world. Um, so th it is nice to just invest. Hey, we're investing in this, this building. That's what it looked like before. And this will look like after what's what's not to love about that. Right. We're putting people to work, writing checks to people, um, putting food on people's table, um, stimulating the economy and giving people a better place to live. So yeah, there, there is that kind of feel good component to it, which is, uh, which is awesome. I love it. Talk to me uh, a little bit, John, about the, the investors on the deal. Were these all friends and family relationships? Was this a result of your networking before? Were you part of an investment club? How did you approach that? Yeah. So it was a, it was a, a bunch of investors that we met at uh, conferences and it was relationships that we cultivated and, and manufactured. Some of them were family members and it was just, it was, it was, it's pretty cool to just be able to put people out, meet people that trust in you and believe in the same vision that you have, and then just move on and, 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 and fund a deal with you because they, they trust you. Right. So they know, like, and trust you, like everybody, everybody throws that term around, but it's really, really, really impactful because it gives you validation at the end of the day that you're doing the right thing and you mean well by people. So yeah, it, it, it's relationships that we cultivated and, it was a lot of them through conferences and, and private communities that we're a part of. Yeah, no, that's it. A lot, a lot of that stuff is just kind of purely relationship driven, which is, which is cool. You know, you get a group, you group, group of folks together, go out and everybody wins together. I've done a ton of investing on, you know, just one-off deals. Um, it can be fun to kind of win as a, as a bigger team, right? Uh, I'm sure you like sending out those checks. I like sending out those checks, you know, it's fun. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it, you can go about it and play the game solo, but when you got a team and you're able to, to win together, come on, man. Michael Jordan couldn't do it himself, right? He, he won with the not team. Not quite. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you, know, you, 
winning as a team is validating and all and all that and in all aspects of itself yeah yeah i love it what uh so you guys have gone full cycle with that one what is what is on the horizon for you what are you looking to uh to do in the future uh looking to take down more deals anywhere from like 70 to to 120 units maybe even 200 units i've partnered in other deals where uh, in texas in urban texas that it's 528 units uh that was pretty fun it was you know just just growing from here and being able to put uh, work with operators to put people that I know and put them in opportunities pretty much in merging markets. So I like Texas, like everybody else. I like Atlanta's. I like South Carolina's. Uh, I mean, the Carolinas, I like Florida and I like Tennessee. So I actually have one more asset in Tennessee as well. And I, that's part of a JV that we, uh, you know, that's a big project. It's kind of a repositioning project where, um, I would never put investors in because uh, it, it, it's a hard, hard reposition. So right. Uh, right now we're repositioning it. It's been fun, but it's been also a lot of anxiety too, right? So uh, that type of a deal is not a type of deal that I would put an investor in as far as I'm looking for the boring deals to put investors in. And, and that's, you know, nothing wrong with singles and doubles. Singles and doubles all day is, is perfect to me because that's what I want. Because I know what a hard deal looks like. I don't want to do development. I'm not into development, but I like repositioning because of the developers. I like when a, when a development goes up because maybe in 15, 20 years, uh, my team can come in and purchase it and reposition it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a different animal, you know, and it, this reposition deal versus a development deal. And there is a spectrum to your point where you've got these kind of boring yield deals that that produce cash flow, and then on the other side of the spectrum are these big turnaround projects and more risk involved, et cetera, potentially higher returns. But uh, yeah, nothing wrong with the boring deals. One of the things I love about multifamily, I've done a lot of different type of investments, is is that the checks are coming in, the revenue's coming in right out of the gate. I mean, even on the closing statement, you're credited some revenue right, right there, you know? Uh, and then the first of the month rolls around incredibly quick every time. And there's another set of, of uh, revenue coming in. Right. And even if the revenue is not totally optimized, um, it sure beats, you know, waiting a year or two years on a flip or development or whatever it is before you have any revenue, right? So I've always loved that about multifamily. You get revenue right out of the gate. Absolutely. I mean, you can just, you know, you, you see it almost immediately. And that's, that's basically to your point. It's, it's, it's really, it's really something that uh, I, I, until you get in, involved in it, you hear about it as passive investors, you hear about it. But when you're working with a solid sponsorship team, you see the impact almost immediately. So new investors is, you know, they, they have a sense, they have an idea of how it works, but until they actually get it and see it, then guess what? Now they're taking off and they're investing in more deals. They're, you know, they're, they're seeing more opportunities. Now they're familiar with the process and all because of that first experience. And that first experience should be a white glove onboarding experience for them. It should be right. the best experience for them because that's how they should, that's, that's how should they, inf they should invest going forward. It's just about cultivating the perfect experience for your investors to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're 
fiduciary responsibility is because, you know, they trust you and now you're going to cultivate that relationship by giving them this great experience for them to go and invest, you know, confidently. I call it investors confidence, you know, having an investor confident that if I see a deal from Devin and it's a singles deal type of deal, yeah, I want that one. I'm going to, I'm going to invest a little bit more because I know what Devin did on the last deal. So that's the type that's the type of experience you want to give your investors because it's, it's helping everybody at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Everybody wins. We, and, and if you got a situation where everybody wins, you can sure go do it a lot. So that's, I love that. Um, tell me about the, the podcast, the passive investor that you host. When did you launch that? What was the impetus behind that? Uh, so basically I had, a lot of friends and family you know, in the business just tell me, hey, you should create a podcast because I, I was literally on a, a lot of calls. I was taking a lot of calls. Sure. And, and I still do. And it's just crazy because now it's because of the podcast. So I was going to conferences, meetups and all of this. And I was following up with people and having these conversations. And I was recording all the questions that, that were being asked of me. So uh, I said, I'm never going to do another podcast where, you know, there's a, there's a million of them where everybody just goes in, you know, they talk about the, the, the sponsor experience and I get that. And I, and, and I just didn't want to come in under that umbrella. So I said, what if I went out for a run and the idea hit me, boom. What if I talked about the passive investing experience? Mm -hmm. it, to me, there's more investors, passive investors than they are uh, sponsors, right? And sure. as we know, Devin, this sponsorship world is very, very small community and everybody thinks it's this big. And when you're coming into the, into the, to the world, into the, uh, the real estate world where you're, you're a sponsor now, you think it's, it's, it's a lot of people, but it's not. There's a very few sponsors out there, at least that we know of. And we all, it's a tight community that we all kind of know each other because we're all part of the same groups. And go to the same conferences and see the, you know, see the same um, experiences as everybody else. But now when a new investor comes through, what does that process look like? Because what if I'm a working professional where I don't want to be on the active side? How do I go through that experience? Well, my podcast basically tells you, uh, we interview uh, people like you, Devin. You'll come on and we'll talk about your onboarding experience. What's it like for the passive investor? How are you meeting them? just to give them an idea how to go about the process if they wanted to become a passive investor. Do I have to go to a conference? Do I, can I go to the website? Can I sign up here? Can, what are the compliance, um, the compliance reasons? Do we have to get on a phone call? Yes. If you're doing 506Bs, yes. If you're doing 506B, uh, 506Cs, be prepared for a third party to vet your uh, accredited investor status. So it's all of that that we're kind of sharing with the, regular everyday working professional, whether you're a professional athlete, a doctor, a high net worth individual, or someone that's just wanting to learn more about the business. Even sponsors listen to the show because of the fact that they get to understand the mindset of a passive investor a little bit clearer. Yeah, I love it. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And I wish you could continue success with that show uh, and with everything else. If uh, somebody wants to connect with you, John, and kind of learn more about what you guys are up to, what's a, what's a good avenue to do that? Oh, uh, sure. So I'm all over uh, social media. So uh, your favorite social media platform, uh, you, you, can find, you can find us as the Passive Investor Show or just type in John Fortes. 
and it'll come up. My website is www.fortezco.com or for the podcast, you can go to passiveinvestorshow.com. Outstanding. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. John, listen, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really enjoyed it and I uh, hope to connect with you in the, in the near future. Uh, Devin, thank you for having me and I really, really appreciate it. And I'm grateful to, to, to actually be a guest on your show, man. Thank you for the opportunity, man. Awesome. My pleasure. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.